So this is the final week of Epiphany, as I said earlier today. And Epiphany is the season in the church calendar where we learn about Jesus and his identity. So Epiphany starts on the, the Sunday that we have this transition from the, the couple weeks of uh, Christmas to Epiphany. And it's the story of the Magi that makes the transition. So that sort of ends the story of Jesus' birth narrative, and it begins the story of Jesus in his ministry. And the whole idea is that with that moment when the Magi come, Jesus is revealed to be the king, not just the Jews, but the king of the world. And then throughout Epiphany, we're invited to learn more about who Jesus is because of that. And so Epiphany goes through Jesus' baptism. It goes through a number of his teachings and stories about his life, and it gets to today. Now today is the moment where Jesus' um, story and his journey in life hit this climax. It's the center of some of the Gospels. It's the center of Mark's Gospel. And it's this important story in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus, there's building, 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 all of a sudden this story happens. And we learn something about him, and then it's a rush to the end. And so this is an important story. And it's also one of those stories that if you've read it in your, in your Bible, if you've just been reading along and you come to this story, it's like one of those stories that you don't know what to think about. It feels crazy, unbelievable. You read it and you're like, I have no idea what that was. I don't know what I just read. I remember reading the Gospels the first time, or I wouldn't even say the first time, until I actually started to have to preach on this passage, which would have been about five years ago, the first time that we came to uh, this Sunday, which is always this passage, or this story, it's in the different Gospels each time. I had to really think about it and figure it out, but before that, I would come to the story and I'd be like, I don't know what to do with this and just move on, because it's so bizarre. But it's a story that we need to understand, because this story makes clear that Jesus reveals God's glory. The story makes clear that Jesus reveals God's glory. And that's why it's such an important piece as we understand more about Jesus. So if you're gonna take out your Bible and turn to Matthew 17, that's where we're gonna be today. Matthew 17, verses one through 19. Matthew 17, one, or not 19, one through nine, I'm sorry. And in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along, Matthew 17, chapter, or chapter 17, verse one, in the Pew Bible starts on page number 1399. 1399 with this story of Jesus, and it will be on the screen here, so you can follow along up there if you'd like. But let's take a look at this story from Matthew chapter 17, the climax of Jesus's story in his life, in his ministry. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. All right, so the way that Matthew tells the story is very straightforward. He just jumps right in. So six, after six days, Jesus takes three of his disciples up onto a mountain. And when they're on this mountain, we're told that Jesus is transfigured. Now, that's not a word that we use unless you're a Harry Potter fan. Harry Potter has a whole world of 
classes about transfiguration. But it's nothing that we can do because we technically, we cannot turn things into other things. We cannot take an item and turn it into something else. We can maybe take something and make it nicer. But transfiguration is one of those out there stories. It's for fairy tales. It's for the magic on the end of our imagination. But it's not something that we think about in the Bible because it's not something that you encounter every day. So we see that there's this story with Jesus transfigured and also we have this six day moment, which we're gonna talk about that in a couple minutes, but six days is also important. So he's transfigured and this is how Matthew describes his transfiguration. It says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. So Matthew just puts it out there. This happens to Jesus. So when I think of this transfiguration story, the one thing I do think of is the scene from Beauty and the Beast at the very end. So I've, I might have shared this before. This is the only way I can think of it. If you've seen Beauty and the Beast or if you've seen Shrek's copy of Beauty and the Beast in the first Shrek movie, uh, at the end of Beauty and the Beast, whenever he becomes human again, he has that, that battle or showdown with Gaston and then he's injured but him and beauty have this moment of love and then all of a sudden he starts to float. If I remember right, I know Shrek floats. And then like each of his body parts start to shine and like his paws become human hands and his human feet and his face changes. And then all of a sudden he drops down and then slowly you see this beautiful prince who was this beast. And so that's the moment, that's what I imagine. Jesus, it doesn't say he's floating but he starts to shine and his clothes become very brilliant. That's the only thing I can think of is this moment. And really that is a transfiguration. It makes you wonder if the authors and the, the storytellers of Beauty and the Beast had this story of Jesus in mind when they wanted to depict his change back into his uh, human form. Because it's absolutely the idea we see. So this is what happens, but we don't know what to do with it. Like I said, I would read this story and I didn't know what to think. Jesus has this Beauty and the Beast moment on the mountain and then the story continues. And what do we make of it? So this is what we're told next. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So not only do we have this Beauty and the Beast moment, but all of a sudden two dead guys show up. And by this point, Peter, who's one of the disciples there, he's like, okay, what's going on? And he has to make his voice heard. So verse four, Peter then comes in. He says, Jesus, or Peter said to, to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So Peter just starts talking. So this is what I think happened. Peter didn't know what else to do, and he's the kind of guy, he's like me. When you're uncomfortable, when you're nervous, when you're tired, it doesn't matter what it is. You need to be distracted, you're bored, and someone's there, you talk. Like, I can't hardly be in a space with somebody I don't know and be, and be silent. I'd rather have that uncomfortable conversation. And some of you who aren't that way, you're like, oh, I would never do that. I would rather see it in silence. But Peter seems to be that kind of guy. He doesn't know what to think. So he has to talk. So he starts to talk. But it, what happens is in the story, it doesn't even matter because he's interrupted. Verse five, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So now there's a speaking cloud. So we have another fairy tale element. 
This cloud comes and it speaks. What would you do if you heard a cloud talk? I mean, we read these stories and we're used to it. We're like, the Bible's weird and there's some things about it that are weird. These weird stories. <clears throat> but they happen to actual people. So you're up there with Jesus and all of a sudden a cloud comes or maybe the cloud is already towering over the mountain, which would make it a lot more terrifying. But it makes it sound as if the cloud sort of comes and then a voice speaks. Now when that happens, what is your response? Well, this is the response and I think their response is exactly what we would do. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground terrified. So Peter's not talking anymore, or if he is talking, he's talking on the ground with John and James about how terrifying this voice is. But before anything else in the story can even happen, it's over. Verse 7, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So just like that, the story's over. It's eight verses. Every verse has a new moment of excitement and confusion and then it's over and then the ultimate confusion comes when Jesus says this as they were coming down the mountain Jesus instructed them do not tell anyone what you have seen until the son of man has been raised from the dead so he doesn't answer any questions in typical Jesus fashion he says okay don't tell anybody about that just keep it to yourself and I'm sure that Peter's like no one's going to believe us so we won't tell anybody anyway but Jesus doesn't explain it to him. At least there's no explanation given in the stories that we have in the way they're told. And then there's this other detail. This one right here. Until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So all of a sudden, there's this conversation about someone's going to die and be resurrected. And if I remember in Matthew, every gospel is different. This is the first time that this idea is introduced. And then in the next couple of chapters, it's going to come up a couple of times in the disciples' discussion with Jesus. But there's one time before it, and here Matthew, the right before it, he predicts his death. And then they have this moment. So now there's this thing about Jesus' death that is looming in their background. They've had this crazy story. Now, like I said, whenever I read this story as uh, even into my adult years, before I had to start preaching it, I would read this story and I would not know what to do. The reason was because I'm not a first century Jewish person. Now, the Jewish people had their whole Old Testament scriptures that they knew by heart. They knew these stories because they lived these stories because these stories were their identity. So when they heard this story of Jesus and whenever they encountered it, they had a context to understand it. So for us to actually understand this story, that's where we have to go. We have to put this story and plug it into all of these other ideas that were just part of the Jewish mindset. For us, we see an eagle on a coin and we know what it's associated with. We see a flag with stars. It doesn't even have to have everything. We just see the stripes. We associate it with something. We hear a story about George Washington. We associate it with something. You can even just take certain images from our country's history 
and associate them with an idea without having to say anything. So for the Jewish people, that's what happened. These stories of Jesus are associated with all these images in their mind. But when we look at this passage we read from Exodus today, we see some of these images come back. So the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. So the detail here that's key is the mountain. Important things in the Bible happen on mountaintops. And lots of characters and people have mountaintop experiences. Moses has more than one. He has the burning bush mountaintop experience and then he has the mountaintop experiences that happened at the end of Exodus. Also, Elijah, who's in this story, has a mountaintop experience. If you remember, he runs to this mountain after he battles Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. And he has this showdown and where he, he basically um, destroys these prophets, beats them, and then has a victory over them. And then the whole nation is unhappy with him. So he runs to this mountain and he has a mountaintop experience. Important things in the Bible happen on mountains. That's the first thing to notice. Jesus is having a mountaintop experience. And for Moses' mountaintop experience, the second thing that happens like after the burning bush is he is given the law, the Ten Commandments, or the law. Not just the Ten, but all of it. So this is what happens then. Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for, for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go. So he's just giving them some details. Verse 15, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. So now we have a cloud. So you have a mountaintop experience with a cloud. Now look what happens. And the glory of, the, of God settled on the mountain. And look right here. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day the Lord called Moses from within. So God spoke out of a cloud to come in. So what does it say that Jesus does? After six days. So on that seventh day he goes on the mountain. Jesus is right within this Moses story. Jesus is having his own Moses, or own Moses moment. And just like the cloud speaks to Moses, this cloud is going to speak about Jesus. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And when Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, or then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So that's how the story ends. Now, what well, we're not told in this story that happens in a number of chapters later, somewhere in the 30s, I didn't look up exactly. If you want to Google it, you can easily find out where this happens. But later, Moses is meeting with God and he comes out of this tent meeting or this cloud meeting and he doesn't realize it, but his face is shining. And it terrifies the Israelite people and he actually has to cover his face for a couple of days until it stops shining. So now Moses and Jesus have these parallel stories. But the biggest difference is that Moses, his face shines because he's in God's presence. Jesus' face shines because on those moments on the mountain, his disciples get a glimpse of who he really is. The parts that are held back for our human ability to stand being around God are re removed enough to see his true glory. Jesus reveals God's glory. 
The story of Moses and the story of Jesus have these parallels. Jesus has his own Moses moment. But notice that Moses, when it's Jesus' turn, Moses comes to Jesus. Just like Elijah comes to Jesus. Jesus has this Moses moment, but his moment is greater than Moses. Because even though Moses could get some of God's glory that rubs off of him for a little while, Jesus radiated God's glory because Jesus reveals God's glory. So this is the story, but the question becomes, well, what do we do with this? What does it have to do with this revelation and revealing for epiphany? How do we take this and plug it into our lives? When we look at what Peter says, we see, because Peter, remember, Peter was on the mountain. He saw it, and then he writes this later in his life about that moment. For we did not follow clearly clever, or cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So right away, Peter's saying, look, these aren't clever stories. I was there. I saw Jesus turn into a human flashlight. I saw the cloud and heard the voice. I feared for my life. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter says, look, I saw firsthand what happened. And what this needs to do for us and People want to dismiss this stuff. You need to understand. People want to say that all the Bible's made up. They want to say that these stories are completely fabricated. They want to say it's all a lie. And I know that because I have conversations with those people sometimes. It's really, really popular. But what we need to realize is we have Peter writing this story making this claim that he witnessed. You take that and you put it together with the things that happened after Jesus died and resurrected. What's happened in Peter's life even since that moment. Then you put that together what's happened over the last couple hundred or a couple thousand years. And you have to ask yourself, okay, well maybe there's some truth to this story. Maybe there's something about this Jesus and his glory that I need to know about. Maybe I do need to listen to these men and women who witnessed these things and then told us about them later. Because that's what Peter says. He's like, look, I didn't make this up. We saw it. You need to realize that Jesus reveals God's glory. And maybe you need to pay attention to what he's about. And then Peter says this. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's saying, look, not only did we see this stuff, but Jesus gave us a message, a message for you that you need to listen to. Jesus reveals God's glory. The transfiguration is the moment where Jesus is most clearly seen. And then what does he say is gonna happen? I'm going to make this journey to Jerusalem where I will be murdered, resurrected, and you will see me again. 
But at the transfiguration, we see who Jesus really is. If we got glimpses in his miracles, if we got glimpses in his powerful teachings, it's only the beginning of the moment on the transfiguration mountain where Jesus reveals God's glory. More than anybody in the story before, Jesus has all of these ideas come together in him. And he is the ultimate revelation of God. And Jesus reveals God's glory. And that's what Peter knew. And Peter said, look, I saw it. I heard it. I'm now calling you to respond and listen like light shining in the darkness. And this is how the journey of epiphany ends. Jesus on a mountain facing or his face shining, clouds speaking, dead people walking. And in the center of all that is Jesus revealing God's glory because Jesus reveals God's glory. And what is that for us to hear? We need to take notice. We need to listen. We need to open our hearts to Jesus. Like I said, Wednesday begins Ash Wednesday. And for the next number of, of weeks, we'll be here on Ash Wednesday and then during the season of Lent is a different side of Jesus' message about us, about things that we need to hear and be reminded of. And then where does it all end? It ends on Good Friday, right? It ends with a cross. It ends in darkness. On Monday, Thursday, we will come and we will take everything off the altar. And everything will be laid bare, like Jesus was laid bare for us. But long before that moment happened, Jesus comes in God's glory to show us who he truly is. And once we know who he is, and then we see what he does, it causes in us a reason to respond. Because as Jesus said, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And that's what he leaves his disciples with. And so that's what we need to leave with. We're not going to understand everything about Jesus. But we need to hear and respond and follow him. Jesus reveals God's glory. He demands our attention. And in the end, what he demands is our allegiance. Will we give it to him? Let us pray.